Jake Shore is a New York City-based author, playwright, and educator. His short stories have been published or are forthcoming in Hobart, Litro, New Contrast, J Journal, and others. In 2016, the Flea Theater presented his play, Holy Moly, and its tandem novel, A Country for Fibbing. Broadway World states, it marks the first time a play with a correlating novel has been simultaneously released in the United States. His play, The Devil is on the Loose with an Axe in Marshalltown, was listed in Playbill's 13 shows not to miss off-Broadway August 1st to 16th, 2017. Shore is currently the director of the Academic Advisement Center at St. Joseph's College, where he also teaches for the English department. He earned his MFA in creative writing at Goddard College. You can find out more about Jake at jcspress.com or on Instagram at jcstheatercompany. Welcome, Jake Shore. Thank you so much for having me. I met you. I don't know what studio it was where the audition was for The Sun Hangs There, as, I, as it's kind of more colloquially called. Was it Pearl or Shetler? Yeah, I think it was Shetler. Inevitably, you cast me in that three-person show that you wrote, The Sun Hangs There Between the Buildings and the Trees. Very well-reviewed. And um, it, was, it was an arduous task for, for us. I mean, just because it was such an intense um, hour and a half of, of exchange, very intimate, and, um, and, and it really required more of the naturalistic acting as opposed to an actory kind of uh, performance. It required real people doing real things, having real conversations, like conversations that you might pass by in your normal life and be like, that's kind of boring, whatever. But in a, on a stage, once you find out what the next part of the exchange is, you realize all of that mattered a whole lot, what they just said. And one of the reviewers said that the entire time they were just on the edge of their seat waiting for the next thing that we were saying. Um, so really, really well written. And the, uh, I don't know if it was the Dean or just the person that puts together the gala, but they loved it so much. They asked you to, uh, if they could hire you and us bring us down there, pay for all expenses, pay us very well to be among quite literally some of the best in their field in, in their arts. Um, pianists, authors, plays, there was all, all these different types of arts. And I guess it's just a way for them to show that part of the country, this is what we can do at this school. And we were on pins and needles um, for, I don't know, was it a week or something when we realized that this was a serious issue? Yeah. I mean, even just you bringing it up now, I realize that I haven't fully been able to digest what happened with that show. And, you know, as you say, it was for the actors, for you and for Andrea and for Maurice, it was a demanding show. It was a show that... Um, I really enjoyed the run that we had in New York. I was so excited to take it to the College of Southern Maryland. I had done a reading there. I was very excited to get back to that audience, which is such a different audience than what you get in New York. I mean, we had talked about this as we were rehearsing it. You know, to put a show on in the Lower East Side where the audience just saw Hamilton or, you know, last week, you know, it, it's a completely different audience when you bring it down to, to Southern Maryland and, you know, to put it on at a college for, for students. Um, even when I was doing the reading, um, when I met the students afterwards, 
um, you know, it was so exciting to think that we were going to, we were going to show them that, that play. And I felt this strange element that the coronavirus and us going to the college of Southern Maryland were on this strange sort of collision course. And it, my sister, she now works at Mount Sinai. Um, so I have her as kind of an entry point into that world. So I felt keyed into it in a way that I don't think all of New York was at the moment. It was the day, the day that it was canceled was the day that it was declared a pandemic and we were supposed to leave the next day. So yeah, it was the 12th. I think the timeline is it was March 12th that it was declared a pandemic and it got canceled. And, you know, I was talking to the coordinator and trying to figure all of that out in terms of whether we could go, if it was going to happen at all. And it was right up until the final, excuse me, the final hour where, you know, we find out, we find out that it was canceled. Um, but that's how close it was. It was like we had rehearsed it completely. It was ready for that stage. And it was just the biggest bummer. And, you know, it, as you know, as everybody knows, you know, as the pandemic just became pivotal and central and, you know, the most at the forefront of all of our lives, I, I still don't feel like I've been able to, you know, be like, how did that happen? How, you know, one, one, it, the pandemic has taken so much from all of us and so much more than just a play or so much more than that experience would have been, but it's still such a bummer that it didn't happen. Um, and yeah, even hearing you talk about it, I was getting like, I still can't believe it in some way. I can't believe the pandemic in general. I can't believe we weren't able to take it there and how close it was. It was like, so. Yeah. And when you look at other countries who have handled things the way a, a country led by functional adults handles things, um, a little different. Yeah. So, but this is, you know, this is what happens when you deny reality as a national culture for so long, you end up in America 2020. Uh, you know, that's how I see it anyway. But uh, I agree with you. I think that Mickey Mouse is the president, Donald Duck is the vice president, that we've been completely sucked into the television. I mean, people can't differentiate entertainment from public service. So people, a certain portion of America, not everybody certainly, and not everyone who voted for Trump or, or still supports him, but watched The Apprentice and felt as though that that show, the guy who was hosting that show was equipped to run the country because of the decisions that he was making on The Apprentice. And that's when, yeah, entertainment and, and politics have fused so much yeah, that now we have Mickey Mouse, and it's unbelievable. This is a quote by James Walcott that I just discovered recently. Actually, I discovered it a long time ago, but I rediscovered it recently. The days when the words Hollywood actor framed Ronald Reagan like bunny fingers as an ID tag and an implied insult seem far off and quaint. Nearly everybody in politics, candidate, consultant, pundit, and Tea Party crowd extra alike, is an actor now, a shameless ham in a hooked up reality series that never stops. Not the uh, the most optimistic of quotes, but. <laughs> no, that's great. 
a few weeks ago, I saw you post something on Instagram about basically that, that looked, it was like, uh, it was a comment that was, dare I say, like you being depressed and just saying, screw it. I gave theater a try, playwriting a try. That's it. I can't, my heart, it can't even take this anymore. That's what it seemed like you were saying that you were just like, I'm not going to focus on this stuff anymore. Well, I mean, my focus has shifted. I mean, I, you know, I was, as you know, as we just talked about, as you experienced, we were getting ready to go to the College of Southern Maryland. Southern Maryland. I was going to have a show in August that I was really excited about um, and was, you know, kind of in the final planning stages of doing. Um, and that's all been put on hold. I mean, and um, I've been fortunate enough to see eight of my plays done in New York and not all of them very glamorously, you know, some of them just getting the money together, whichever way that I could and, and getting the actors together and just doing it. Um, and and doing it just for the sake of doing it and doing it for capital a art um and you know for now that drive in me and that instinct to do it every year to have at least one play that i mount somehow you know the play that i did at the flea you know that was such a gift the the play that i did at the Connolly theater was a gift you know and the plays where i um did it more on my own you know that they were just as much so and you know i was kind of just saying for now that aspect is on pause and you know i've continued writing and i've continued writing plays and that will come back but yeah for now that aspect of it you know i thought of perhaps i should pivot and do something on with a different medium you know throw something up on youtube throw something up on zoom you know do it in a different form and i just haven't figured out a way of doing that yet and you know not to say that it won't happen depending upon how long all of this lasts uh you know i very well could um but you know for now i think like a lot of the country i'm just kind of waiting and hoping that we'll get through it in a reasonable amount of time. And then I'll be able to, you know, mount a production again, you know, when, when things open up, but yeah, I, it was, you know, the realization that, that up until, you know, even a few months ago, I was still hopeful that perhaps by September, October, I was going to be able to mount a production. And then it just became impossible. So it was, yeah, it was a, de I was defeated in a certain sense, but you know, I'm trying to focus on other things in terms of my writing and, but yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't throwing my hands up at it as, you know, this will, I'll never take this on again. It was more like, this is on pause for now. I can't mount a production. I will later, but yeah. Talk about if you could your life before New York, and when, when a number of things entered your life, when did art itself enter your life? Because you are a professional artist. When did education, the idea of, of doing that as a vocation, when did that enter your life? 
And when did your love for, for the written word enter your life? Um, that's a great question. Well, I came to New York when I was 18 for my undergraduate experience. So that's, so college brought me here and then I essentially just stayed. Um, my father's an artist and he's an artist on a pretty high level. Um, and that was really my entry point in the beginning when I was very young before I knew what was going on. I was going to, to theaters. I was going to see performances. I was going to see performances that he was in. I was going to see things that he had done. Um, so it was kind of just there and I didn't really separate it from anything else. It just was the way that the world was. Um, I think I first took to sports and that was the first thing that I think taught me the distinction between being good and being great and being great and being exceptional and being, you know, higher than that and higher than that. And just all the way up until the absolute highest level of achievement of, um, you know, expertise of virtuosity. I think it was sports where, you know, I showed promise as a, as a basketball player when I was in like eighth and ninth grade and I was going to tournaments where I was experiencing that firsthand of, okay, I'm on this level. And then you start to see how many levels there are above you. You start to see you're watching games and and there's someone that that's playing and you can't believe how good they are. And you're going, you know, how could that person be so good? And then you watch another game and someone's 10 times better than that person and 10 times better than that person. And it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And I think the, the thing that sports taught me was practice and what practice meant and the difference between practicing two hours a day and practicing six hours a day. And, um, you know, I, as my interest in sports waned, I started playing guitar and then guitar took all the practice time that I was practicing basketball. I just started practicing guitar. Um, and I think part of that comes out of the kind of uh, stereotype of the artist or of an athlete of isolation and dealing with isolation and, you know, that world. Um, so it was really music, but it, it was pretty early on that I realized I was not going to be a musician while I took to guitar and still enjoy playing. I couldn't see it in a certain way. I couldn't really write songs. I didn't like relying on other people to be in a band. And I never really meshed that well jamming with anyone. And I just didn't really like relying on anybody else. And I didn't like, um, and just the lugging, you're, you know, the, you're going to jam somewhere and someone's got to bring his drums and, you know, just that whole thing. You know, it just wasn't my, my real passion and what I really wanted to do. Um, and then I started kind of writing through school, really. And kind of 
finding out that I had a knack for it and started enjoying it. And then it wasn't until college that I really started writing short stories and kind of just started writing paragraphs like my sophomore year in college. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, I was in college for, you know, just kind of taking generic classes core classes, just trying to avoid what my major was going to be. And then I found, I went to Wagner College on Staten Island and they have a major where you can basically take half business and half art classes. And I just kind of fell into that major. And I also took an English class with a professor who I really liked. And he was not just an incredible teacher, but he was uh, an incredible guy. And I wrote a few short stories and I didn't know what to do with them. It was uh, my junior year of college. And I sent them to him and just said, you know, if you wouldn't mind reading them, I don't, you know, or I don't even know what I asked him initially, but he was nice enough to give me a critique and to encourage me. And um, we're still really good friends. Um, I actually used to work with him at St. Joe's. Um, so he's been, you know, an incredible friend and mentor to me since, since college. Um, and it was a collection or a few short stories that I wrote in my undergrad that I applied to grad school with. And I was fortunate enough to get into a grad school based on those short stories. And then I was at Goddard College doing an MFA in creative writing all of a sudden. And then I met these absolutely incredible writers and I was fortunate enough to study under them. Um, I worked with one writer in particular, his name is John McManus. He's the youngest recipient of the Whiting Writing Award, which is a big time writing award. And um, he was just, it, I was young. I was pretty young at the time and I didn't really understand who he was or the stature of writer that he was. I, I didn't really understand that world yet. And I was just kind of writing for writing's sake without thinking, Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to publish a book of short stories or, you know, I wasn't thinking in those terms and, and working with him was was really enormous for, you know, developing and understanding what a short story needs to be. And it was at Goddard where I met playwrights. And I met one playwright in particular, and we became friends. And he was like, he would hand the script off to actors and sit in the audience. And I was like, this is the this is the greatest thing, you know, that you can just you just got to write this thing and you can hand it off to these incredible people and they take it and, and turn it into something, transform it, breathe life it, into it in a way that you, I could never imagine. And, and you can just sit in the audience. Um, so that was incredibly appeal, appealing to me. Um, and that started me thinking about playwriting and, um, Really, the my entry point into playwriting, aside from just the writing, was um, theater under St. Mark's. I think they still do it. Well, not now, but 
um, before the pandemic, there was a um, open mic night where you could go and, you know, you could read whatever you want for five minutes. And I used to go in college and I, I just continued going. And it was through that where I was like, how do you get to do this? Why do you get to use this theater? And they were like, oh, well, you know, we are in touch with this person. And that's how I met the owner of Under St. Mark's. And he also owns, or the Horse Trade Theater Group or an awesome company. They also owned the Red Room, which I don't think exists anymore. And they own the Connolly Theater. Um, And yeah, the first plays that I did were just like me and my friend writing a comedy being like let's just get the money together and rent one of these spaces and we rented like the cheapest it was like the 10 o'clock friday saturday that like they just didn't want and couldn't fill in the middle of the summer and we were like we'll take it you know we just scrounged the money together and we got like my friend who was trying to launch this apparel company a connection i had made in college and we just got the money together and it was like nothing. And it was this, yeah, it was just this amazing thing where it was very much that experience of, of just what I learned to Goddard from that playwright. And then I learned about the fringe festival and then it completely just snowballed from there um, until I, yeah, was, was um, I got some attention at the fringe. I won an award at the fringe and, then all of a sudden I was just writing plays. Um, so yeah, that that's an outline of it, yeah. And then education? Education, um, I mean, I'm very much, as much as my undergrad experience, I really didn't know what I was gonna do. Um, you know, the fact that I was in New York, the fact that Wagner had great internship programs, Um, I did an internship for MTV when I was a senior and I, you know, I was an intern. I was just like making copies. And when I got into my creative writing program, I reached out to someone at MTV and was just like, I just got into this program. Can I write? I'll write anything, you know, just whatever you need me to write, I'll write. And they sent me to um, Madame Tussauds wax museum to write an article about robert pattinson's wax figure being unveiled and it was just like clearly the thing that no one else wanted to do and i was thrilled to do it i wasn't thrilled to go to madame tussauds and you know check out robert pattinson's wax wax figure but i was like this is this is incredible you know and that was the first byline that i got and um so but you know that was from education you know that was from my undergrad that was from the internship that i got through wagner that so you know it turns out it it turned out that my undergrad worked out you know pretty nicely for me um with this connection that i made with this english professor and you know the internships worked out pretty well and then, you know, Goddard was amazing. So I, you know, came out of my master's very much a product of education. Um, you know, I, 
I know writers, uh, I know a writer who, he just had a novel published. I read it. It's incredible. Um, he didn't get his MFA and he just writes, he's just this incredible writer. And I met members of the faculty at Goddard who didn't have their MFA. You know, they had an undergrad at best and they're just, you know, they just write on the highest level and that's how they, they move forward. Um, so, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of a product of, of higher education. I mean, it, it, it helped me. Goddard helped me. Wagner helped me. Um, and then it was in 2012 that I got hired as an adjunct at Wagner through my friend who was my professor. And that was a lucky break of someone not wanting to teach a class. You know, it was just like, and adjuncting is the biggest racket in the world. It is the most shameful thing that a higher education does. It is an absolute racket. It ranks with, I mean, I, it's the most abusive and, you know, you can, you can put it next to things that Amazon does to their lowest tier workers with benefits and pay. It is unbelievable what higher education is able to do when it comes to adjuncts behind the veneer of like Kumbaya, you know, higher education. And, but because I was so young coming right out of grad school and I had done this play, which, you know, Wagner didn't know that it was me and my friend just like scrounging the money together and doing it, you know, doing this weird comedy that, that we had decided to write, you know, on my resume it was, I did a show in at under St. Mark's or it was the red room that I did the first one. Um, and when I was at grad school, I got a short story published based off a reading that I did at Goddard. So, you know, they hired me based on the recommendation of the professor that I had and my resume, which I think looked different, you know, it, it looked a bit different than uh, how, you, you know, than how old I was, I think. Um, and that was my foot in the door at Wagner. And then I stuck it out at Wagner. I, you know, I had all sorts of jobs to supplement being an adjunct. I adjunct at other schools. I was a bar back at one point. I um, worked at an office. You know, I had all different ways of trying to supplement being an adjunct. And then it was two years ago that a position opened at St. Joe's that kind of worked to my skill sets. And I was, I was able to get that job. Um, and that was kind of at the point where I didn't know if I was going to be able to keep adjuncting on the table. You know, I didn't think I was going to be able to keep it going just because of everything surrounding adjuncting. Um, but yeah, that was kind of, kind of my journey through higher education, which, yeah, again, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. Um, but the, it has helped my writing, you know, it has, for, for all of its faults, there have been things where it was nice to have a community behind me. Okay, well, Wagner College has a good theater program. It was good to be able to reach out to those professors. You know, it's still a great network and there, it's still full of people who really care about art. So, you know, those things were all very positive and helped. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my journey through, through higher ed.
Talk, if you could, in the little bit of time we have left about what was the impetus behind your first real work and, and what, were you, what have you found that you're always trying to articulate with your writing? So the first play that I wrote, I wrote with my friend and we were mainly joking around. Um, and we weren't really taking it that seriously. And I think I got sort of addicted to, or it was very, yeah, I guess addicted a little bit. That experience of writing it, rehearsing it, mounting the production, that whole thing, that whole experience was, was so incredible that I wanted to do it immediately after the first one ended. And I started to try to figure out how I was going to do it. And the second play that I did was really three one acts that I adapted from short stories. And I think that the first play that I wrote was basically born out of a short, not that it began as a short story, but it was my mentality about short stories. The way that I molded the ending, the structure of it, it was, to me, reminded me of writing a short story. By the time I mounted the production of the second play, I got to the middle of that run and I absolutely couldn't watch the show. I was, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like I wasn't writing plays. I felt that I was back kind of with my friend joking around and that I wasn't taking it seriously, despite the fact that the second show that I did was adapted from three short stories that I cared about. I think there was some, you know, writing that I'm, I was proud of. I really started to read more plays and become more focused on playwriting as a craft, as opposed to, okay, well, I'll adapt a short story or I'll think of it from, the perspective of a short story writer. And for me, it was a few plays that did this where I got to the end of that second run and I just couldn't watch the show anymore. And the big one was Glengarry Glen Ross. And I just became absolutely obsessed with that play and I became obsessed with the structure of it and with just the, um, the dialogue and the perspective the way that he, that he was able to reveal secrets, when he would reveal the secrets, um, the, just the whole structure of it. And that obsession with that play allowed me to write the third play that I did, which I did at the Fringe and won an award. And I worked with these incredible actors. And that's when I really felt like, okay, I can write plays. And I, I want to keep pursuing this in a very serious way of, you know, the craft of the play and just reading more and more plays. And um, that was kind of, but I mean, I think for me too, I mean, my father wrote plays. He has written plays. He, he is more rooted in movement. He's a choreographer. Um, so I'm very much following in my father's footsteps while also kind of thumbing my nose at the father type of thing where 
his stuff is movement, more movement based, and mine is more um, committed to to dialogue. Not that he doesn't write incredible dialogue, but his stuff is more movement based. Um, but you know, his he would have shows put on in Rhode Island, where I'm from. And, you know, from my earliest memories, we're sitting in those theaters watching stuff that he had choreographed. So, you know, I come, I, I feel like I come from more of a tradition of what he did and, you know, following in his footsteps, taking a very different tangent, you know, our work, is is very very different but you know to your point about having mentors and having people you know it, it's not all you doing it you know i mean for every play i had him to consult with you know i had him to um ask questions to you know and that's just unbelievable and invaluable and something that not i you know very few people have so I'm also so much following, you know, his artistic, um, what he does and, and what I learned from him. So, so there's also that, and that's a very strong element, I think. And I think that that has always been there and has been, you know, just so enormous, really. <laughs>